I'm Christian Bush. And I'm Cindy Watts. Welcome to our podcast, 52. I turned 52 this year, believe it or not, and I am releasing 52 songs to celebrate. This podcast looks at the relationship between my 52 new songs and 52 of my most popular songs from my back catalog with plenty of stories and laughs along the way. Oh, yeah, Cindy Watts. So do we call him mom joke since I'm going to tell him today? Yeah, it's it's kind of like a, a backwards day or upside down day. An upside down day. Mom jokes. You can call them mom jokes. Mom jokes. All right. What did the drummer name his three daughters? <laughs> no, what? Anna one, Anna two, Anna one, two, three, four. <laughs> I know this... <laughs> A man was on trial for stealing dozens of guitars from different music shops around town. At the man's arraignment, the judge looked down at the guitar thief and asked him about his criminal history. First offender, the judge asked. No, the man replied sadly. First to Gibson, then offender. <laughs> yeah. Yes. 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 I thought you would like that. Yeah. You win. Yeah. 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 Mom jokes are good. Yep. Strong. Strong. Okay. I think this one's funny too. When Jay-Z got engaged to his wife, did he call her fiance? (laughs) I love that. Mm -hmm. All right. One more. Why doesn't Ed, why doesn't Ed have a girlfriend anymore? Why? She ran. Oh my God. There you go. The leprechaun joke to close it out. The leprechaun joke to close it out. (laughs) How does it feel? It's like you're bringing flowers, bringing jokes, right? Oh, I know. I know. And and he just had another baby. So, you know, there was a new dad. To Wait, Ed Sheeran? Yes. Was pregnant? He was. It's going to be on the cover of National Enquirer next oh week. Oh, my God. It's a they. It's a they. They Sheeran. They Sheeran. They Sheeran oh, had so another baby. Yes. <laughs> Daughter number two. <laughs> I Actually, I, I, I did not know that, but I, I love it. I love it for him. I love it uh, for everybody who has kids. I, I, it's been interesting watching all of the next crop of country music people uh, go into the world of childbearing. Yes, that part of their life. And it's different. It's interesting how different people handle it. Yes. You know. I just read a story where uh, I believe Marin Morris had her son's bunk wallpapered. So, you know. Yeah. Did you have a bunch wallpapered for your children? No. 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 <laughs> well, um, although we started a tr- tradition that still exists today, which is um, family bus. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, buses are expensive. Yes. And you have to share it with all the other people in your band a lot of times um, n- until you get to the upper, most uppermost level. Mm-hmm. And then you can sort of bring your family when you want. Um. But uh, for a long time, I would save my money. Instead of going on a summer vacation, I would pay for a family bus, which meant my family could come out for a week. And as the kids got older, that felt more mandatory to them. (laughs) You mean they would have rather gone to the beach than (laughs) than spend a week on the tour bus with dad? Right. Surely not. And then after, and then post-divorce land, it was, um, the way I did it is you guys can split it up. Um, you can each bring a friend. Oh my, that, that, that's brave. 
And you can imagine how kind of somewhat cool that is in middle school. Well, yeah. Or even early high school, being able to just roll the rock and roll lifestyle, which fits well for a teenager. They sleep until they wake up, which is like one o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, There's catering. So they don't even have to like use money for food or make their own cereal. Yeah. They could just kind of fall into the, and then, um, and then there's entertainment every night. They're always special. There's little passes around their neck. They felt like, uh, you know, it was like everything that iCarly ever promised them, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it's just happening all of a sudden. So for a while that was a thing. Um, and now, um, it's, you know, are you going to make it to my show? I don't know, dad, maybe. So I think I, I think it progresses from you should feel sorry for me because I'm an artist that also is raising a child on the road to um my children are neglecting me. It, it, roll, it rolls pretty fast. Like don't <laughs> don't in the words of Kenny Chesney via I'm sure um Casey Beathard don't blink. Is it Casey Beathard? Did you remember that off the top of your head? I might have remembered that off the top of my head. See if I got that right. We're going to ask, ask the, the Google. Google machine. We're going to ask the Google. There's a chance I got that right. And if it is, then that is actually my first Weeblos badge of uh, Nashville songwriter um, recognition. Because I'm a little embarrassed that I don't know a lot of the 90s songs everybody else does because I was really into R.E.M. But um, you were right. It's was K- I right? It's Casey Beathard. Casey Beathard and Chris Wallen. And Chris Wallen. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. How about that? Don't, yes. Don't blink. Don't blink. Well, um, in, in that world of uh, uh, writerliness, today's pairing is um, two songs that I love very much. Um, and I, they're very, very, very special to my heart. One off 52 is called You Can't Stop the Sun From Going Down. Yes. And I'm pairing it with um, a song called Life in a Northern Town, which is, I did not write, but um, I performed and was um, the catalyst for, and it has become very important to me in a lot of ways, and we'll discuss that later. But um, yes, a lot of people are having babies. Yes. Uh, one of the joys of growing up in this business as a child is that, and, and we discuss this a lot with different friends of mine, what your parents do is not sexy because they're your parents. Right. Your parents could be like Jay-Z and Beyonce, and it's just what mom and dad do. Yes. Like my kids. They, they roll their eyes. Oh, yeah. Do you want to go backstage? No. No, I, I don't. No, I don't. I, I, yeah. yeah no. <laughs> Just stay home. I mean, as much as you try to explain it to them, like, do you know how impossible this is? You should be enjoying this. They're like, yeah, whatever. It's just what my dad does. So it is unimpressive to them. But I think what is interesting is through your very unimpressive job, whoever you are, no matter how impressive your job is or even how mundane um, to your child, you are their parent. Yes. And, and that's never going to change. And that becomes less important or more important and then embarrassing and then important again. And then, (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, I'm sure it just goes through all these different phases. But um, one of the things that has always been interesting to me of having children and being a creator is seeing things through their eyes. You know, it's, yeah. it, it's fun to do as an adult. You watch your kids like grow up and you, you see things again that you remember, you were like, I was just that age. Like, yeah. like when they're, when they're in the, exactly where uh, Pax is right now, you can totally remember being that age. Yeah. It's, it hasn't left your brain being nine or 10. Right. It, it has four or five yeah. and maybe parts of your twenties have <laughs> disappeared. <laughs> but you know, usually you're like, man, I remember when I was nine. I remember when I was, I remember what it felt like to go to fifth grade. I remember, you know, like, yeah. And, um, I've, I love asking my kids questions about what they like, what they're into, stuff like this. But then whenever I'm faced with a question, I always, especially a creative one, I ask them. So in the case of this first song, I had been asked, which was very weird because it's the first time I'd ever been asked this. Would you write a song for someone else? Mm-hmm. I had done it once before for a band called the Blue Dogs which was a South Carolina band. My brother was playing keyboards for him. And he said, they're looking for songs. Do you have any songs? And I did the thing that I've always known to do, which is say yes, even though you don't. (laughs) (laughs) And I went home and I wrote a song for him called uh, All of My Heroes. I sent it to them. I I did it on a little ADAT like demo. We were in the middle of a Billy Pilgrim record and I, I did it and sent it to him and they recorded it. Oh, wow. And I was so beside myself. And, uh, and they did it kind of the way I did it. And then I went off into my world and I never really thought about it again. And then of course, when Sugarland hit, I was, um, never asked to write a song for anyone hmm. because that I wasn't considered a songwriter, even though I was, I was considered the artist that also writes their songs. Right. So no one asked. And finally I got asked to write a song for Joe Cocker. And I thought to myself, wow, I listened to Joe Cocker. I know this voice. I know what to do. And there were a couple of rules that were put in. Joe's older. He was being produced by a, a guy that 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 produced um, a bunch of Maxbox, Matchbox 20 records, which is one of the ways that I knew I got the invitation. And I couldn't tell if it's an invitation because, Christian, we like you or you're going to be in a very big pile of other songs. But if you would you write something for Joe Cocker? And I thought to myself, what would I want? an older Joe Cocker to tell me. Yeah. And to me, he very much would sound like a parent. He'd be a dad, right? That had some sort of weird Gandalf wisdom that other people (laughs) didn't have, you know? And he has that kind of weird face he makes, you know, when he's singing. And the other thing was they told me it can't have, it can't be a a lot of fast words. He's older now and fewer words, different kind of song. And, so I, I sat out on my back porch of the house that I'm renting that I eventually bought. And it, it was a screen porch, which is really kind of nice because then I react really badly to mosquitoes. Like I swell up like, yeah, it's terrible. And uh, so I'm back there and I, I, I'm trying to figure out what to do. And I come across this like descending music. Uh, I would get that guitar and play it for you right now, but it was... um. Uh, just one little line, boy, you can't stop the sun from going down. 
And it was just um, him telling me about the inevitable. And then I thought, okay, that's pretty good. Right about then, Camille wanders out in the back porch. And I remember because the doorknob was still above her waist, you know, it's like, yeah, it was, she had to reach for it and she came out, she says, what are you doing? And it was the time where she would always be spinning. I don't know if you know this about girls. There's like a certain age where they're just constantly spinning on one foot or something or. Yeah. And, uh, it's post princess phase pre, you know, pre preteen. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm writing this song. She goes, well, what's the song about? And I said, well, I'm trying to figure that out now, but um, here's what I got. Boy, you can't stop the sun from going down. And uh, she's like, okay, that's nice. And she goes, what are, you, what are you trying to do? And I said, well, I'm trying to think of things you can't stop. You know, things in the world. She's like, you mean like a leaf falling from a tree? I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly yeah. Anything else you think about that? Oh, yeah. You mean like your shadow? You can't stop your shadow from following you, right? Huh. And I was like, dear Lord, I'm going to have to cut her in on the song. <laughs> like, I, I was, I was, I was doubly impressed, but stunned at the, the frankness. Yeah. Of her just observing these things. And, uh, and then I started saying things. I was like, yeah, no, because rain's always going to fall, you know? And she's like, okay, dad. And then she spun out, went back inside, came back. And we took a walk a little bit later. Like, I could tell she wanted my attention and I was writing the song. And I just, she got, she just left because she was bored and came back with like, hey, hey, by the way, you need to pay attention to me. <laughs> Where I put the guitar down and we went for a walk. And I, and that day I wrote the song, um, or most of it. And then later, I guess it's maybe, maybe five or six months later, I had a writing appointment with uh, a person that I had just met. Um, and, uh, out on a Sugarland gig and he was coming to Atlanta and, and we, we started to write two or three songs and he said, you know, if there's anything you've got laying around that I can help with, I, 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 let's use the most of my time. And I, yeah, now I understand that Monty Powell has lots of skills, <laughs> yes, he does. right? And one of them is also coaxing songs that are half done out of you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I very gladly brought this up and, and, and he helped me. I said, well, you know, this is supposed to be for the Joe Cocker thing. He's like, oh, yeah, I, I got asked to do that and blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, okay. So maybe I'm not that special. <laughs> of course. You're but special. I thought I was. Anyway, so we finished that song and he 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 finished it like a champ. That guy can write a freaking song. Monty can. And uh, I've been forever grateful for this moment of being able to preserve that exchange with my daughter but then also very directly write a song that someone else was going to sing. Yeah. And this was, this was the demo that I sent in for him to do. And he did not pick the song, but um, I got a very nice response and I've always held on to it. And I decided when the 52 project came up, it was the first thing I put in the list. Oh, wow. 
I didn't know that. Yep. Because I was like, this song has been good since I made it. And it's been right. There's nothing I would change. Yeah. And it, it'll outlive me. Oh, wow. It's a bigger idea than I am a songwriter. So um, here, here's the song off 52. This is You Can't Stop the Sun From Going Down. The seeds gonna grow Weeds gonna shoot up Row by row Clouds gonna gather Storms gonna blow Shadows gonna follow you Wherever you go Leaves on that tree They're gonna end up on the ground Boy, you can't stop the sun It burn to the ground Oh, you can't stop the sun From going down We're coming up in the dawn When the night's been too long Shining bright, bringing hope Where hope is gone When it's gone your steps Love like a freight train with no regrets Live like you and Picasso painting the time You gotta come out swinging when you hear that bell sound I'm telling you the truth if you don't know by
we clearly messed up by not choosing it. <laughs> Can't you hear Joe Cocker singing that? Well, of course. Boy, you can't stop. Yes. Going out. <laughs> I've always really loved that song. It was, it was some, I loved it so much that I even just like put it on my YouTube channel a long time ago. I just loved it. What is it that makes you love that song? I think it's, um, I think it's just the using different ways to say the same thing so that, so that, um, something that's true, you keep reproving. Yeah. You know, like that's something that's really interesting about a song. It, it's, this is not a story that ends up somewhere. Mm-hmm. It is like a Bob Dylan song. It's telling you something and then giving you more examples of why it's true. And it's a different kind of song. It's, it, 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 it's not, um, it is, it, it, it proves its own self. So I, I don't know. I just, I love it because I think that it is simple enough to be sung by anyone. Yeah. It's not about me, but I was involved in making it. <laughs> right. So there's something about that. I could see that. Yeah. That's super attractive. And it's, it's so close to me because it, I I didn't, I didn't understand what was happening when it was happening. Like, I don't think I understood that a song was going to be, um, as resonant as it was when I was making, I was simply just trying to connect one dot to the other. Like Camille, what are things you can't stop? Right. Like Nate and they were mostly nature things that are coming together. Um, and then when you expand it, even Monty was like playing with this idea of, you know, you love who you love. You can't, that's just, it's a thing. It's a definitely a thing. And, uh, I remember when I was listening to it right there, the first line I had for the whole song was the ending line, which was, you can't stop Romeo from hanging around. Hmm. Right. Like you can't ask that guy's nature to change. Right. He will stay under your thing. <laughs> it's one of the things you can't change, just like you can't change the weather. You know, uh, you can't stop a thief from being a thief. You know, Monty taught me something really great in that song too. At the beginning of that third verse, it's, uh, I said, I said, you know what I'd love to say is don't wear a watch. He said, well, then say it. <laughs> I said, well, don't wear a watch. And then he said, and don't watch your step. I was like, oh, you can play like that? Because you got to remember at the time, people weren't being playful with country lyrics that way. They had to be linear. Right. And uh, I just, I, I, I love that. I love, you know. I immediately became free in that. And I think he somehow weirdly impressed on me. Like um, the last time I saw him was very recently, maybe a month ago. And he played for me a song about Georgia that had all of these crazy like metaphors and upside down things in it and, and triple entendres. And I was like, oh, he considers me that friend. I'm his <laughs> friend he can share that song with. You mean the smart friend? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's smart friend, but like. I appreciate the um, the multi-level Jenga. The craft. <laughs> of yes. 
of songwriting. Um, which brings us to other things unlikely that um, they're important because the intention behind them was true, regardless of what happened. And this this is something I've always wished to have been something in the world that was true, and I, I still don't think it is. <laughs> but on the occasions that it does prove itself to be right, like, you know the... You feel better about yourself if you, uh, if you're in the Starbucks line, you pay for the person behind you, right? Have you ever done that? Uh, not uh, bought somebody's lunch. Yes, you know stuff like that. Well, uh, in this case, um, we were on tour. It was a Sugarland tour. The name of this song is "Life in a Northern Town," and we did not write this. I didn't write this. Um, the the members of a band called the dream Academy wrote this and they wrote it in the eighties. And I heard it on the radio when I was a kid and, and even as a teenager or a young adult. And, um, we were at a point in our career where we were giving our, given our first headlining tour. And in, and in Nashville, a lot of times in the last 20 years, um, that typically, uh, that option comes, um, from a, a program that was put together by CMT, mm-hmm. right? It was called CMT on tour. And what they did is I like to call it junior varsity touring. <laughs> um, but what they do is they pay for the touring part and you get to be the headliner and then they take out different acts. And, um, but it's your, as a headliner, you do not have to kind of, hire all the video people and hire all the light people and hire, they, they kind of do it for you. They teach you. And the program itself isn't as, uh, it doesn't happen as much now, but um, they do it a lot. Um, Leslie has morphed it into the next women of country tour. Yes. Is, but it's, it's essentially a similar program, which is they take you out on tour. They do the booking. So you don't have to, they're with a promoter which is a lot of the responsibility that you usually earn your way to in, mm-hmm. in, in the touring part of country music. And, uh, they had asked us to do it. And I think the year before, uh, maybe Dirk Bentley had done it. And maybe the year before that, I don't know. It was, it, it was a, an ongoing thing. Right. And we had asked little big town to be our opening act. And then Jake Owen as the, the, the first of three. Yep. And I think he was on his first song. I believe it was starting with me. I believe yeah. that's what he was on. When- and uh, Little Big Town had just had Boondocks. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sugarland was on. Oh, we had had Want To and Settle In. We hadn't quite gotten to stay yet off that record, but we had had six songs on the radio. Right. So at least six songs you were going to know at the show. (laughs) And um, it was a wonderful learning experience. And we loved touring with these people because especially um, Little Big Town, uh, you know, there's so many voices and and we're a band that loves to do lots of harmonies. And um, when we were backstage, uh, we kind of bonded and we were trying to come up with can we join each other on different songs? Like, especially as the headliner, when we were out with Kenny, he would bring us out to sing a song with him at the end. And so we were learning from him 
mm-hmm. how to do this. And we thought, well, it must be our responsibility now. Let's pick a song. And and then we were thinking, well, maybe we don't need him to come out and sing Baby Girl with us. That's kind of silly. Um, why don't we just come up with something? And we were like, well, what songs do we like? And we were we were coming up with different things that we would do. And this particular day, we were in Maine. Mm-hmm. And... Jennifer and I were backstage and I was like, man, what's just a song you like? I mean, what's just a song we like? And we were talking about different things. And um, because she and I are different ages, there are only a certain number of songs that cross. And uh, I brought up uh, something and, and we were going through my list of like walk-in music. Yeah. And we heard this song, Life in a Northern Town. I was like, oh man, I always love that song. Hey, na, 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 da, da, na, da, da. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, it'd be kind of cool, but I, you know, I don't think country music would ever even understand this. This would make no sense. And she's like, well, maybe not, but it's a story. It's a, it's a story about a working town. And yeah, I said, actually, you know, the story is about the death of Nick Drake, the folk singer. And she's like, what? And I was like, yeah. And so we kind of looked it up. So we knew what we we're talking about, but then we knew the song inside out and everybody in our band knew it too, because they're all from Atlanta, right? They all listened to the same radio stations we did. They didn't actually grow up on some of this other stuff. So we learned it backstage and then we go, but we go over to the little big town dressing room. It's like, Hey, you guys want to sing this with us? And they were like, Oh yeah, cool. And then we were going to divide it up among each of us. And then we kind of came up with this idea and everybody had their script. And then we were like, well, we should ask Jake. We had Jake come in. Jake was like, I've never heard this song in my life. And I said, oh, okay, blah, blah, blah. And we talked and talked. And I said, well, you know, and I was explaining, I was like, this song about Nick Drake. He goes, wait a minute, Nick Drake. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I'm a huge Nick Drake fan. I was like, how in the world are you? Like, I was so shocked that he knew this esoteric English songwriter yeah. for, that was, died as a junkie in the 70s. You know, like, how did you know that? But then uh, he came up and and he was, he had this, you know, super low voice. So he's singing yeah. the low part in the song. And the, the story itself gets even better because we perform it that night and then we got to drive all the way back down south to start the rest of the, or in the rest of the tour. And as we got, we sang it maybe one or two more times like Greenville or somewhere. And maybe Greenville was the last night or Augusta was the last night. And we filmed it. We had this um, wonderful young lady who had found Sugarland while she was in high school in Macon. Her dad would drive her up to take pictures of us. She, he, he was trying to give her the opportunity. I think it was her dad or her mom. And we just welcomed her in as long as we could use the pictures. We were fine. Her name's Becky Fluke. And Becky was out on the bus with us on this tour. And we said, Becky, is there any way you could video this song? She had just found out that her camera could do video or her 35 mm-hmm. millimeter. And she was videoing this song for us. Cause I wanted to send it to Leslie Fram to say, thank you. Now, what you probably don't know is that Leslie is a friend of mine and ours in Atlanta from back in the day. She was the the programmer for a radio station called 99X, which was a um, alternative rock mm-hmm. program, right. uh, programming station. And mm-hmm. she got Billy Pilgrim their start and John Mayer his start and, and uh, Sean Mullins. She played mm-hmm. us on the radio before anybody else did. And helped us with our careers. And to to know that she had just been somehow moved to Nashville to work at CMT, I was beside myself. It was like the first person besides us that had left Atlanta 
to come to, to come to country music because yeah. there was something really fertile in the ground of country music at the time, and 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 accepting they were right. accepting music from places they didn't normally, and they were accepting leadership. So we decided to say thank you to Leslie, and I said let's just film this and send it to her as a thank you, like she'll get it because she used to play this song on the radio, right? And then she did something I didn't ever think was possible is she took this video that we sent her as a gift mm-hmm. and put it on CMT. Which is amazing. And, and it, and it sounds like Leslie, but it's also like the sound quality. It's like, my head's like, what could, what must the sound quality have been like? And then how did you feel about that? To have just like kind of quickly made this video and then it ended up on television. It was nuts. It was nuts. That's a, that's literally the recording from the board tape. It's insane. Right. And, and I mind you, the people who were working with us at the time were rolling under my standards, <laughs> which is, Hey man, if you've got, and, and this was the first time we had like a way to record the front of house. We didn't have that technology before. Yeah. So um, but we did know how to mix records. So we, we, we mixed it really quick, turned it around, put it on the little thing, said, thank you. And then she started playing it on CMT. And then people started requesting it on CMT. And then the weirdest thing happened. Somebody somewhere. And I, I would love to hear the other part of this story from whoever has it. Um, somehow got the audio. They had ripped it off of YouTube Mm-hmm. Or ripped it off of CMT's video player. Can you do that? And started playing it on the radio. Like a radio station had started playing it. Well, our record company then contacts us and said, what the hell is this? <laughs> Surprise. And we were like, well, we just, we sent this in as a thank you. And this is what is mm-hmm. they like, do you have that audio? Literally, I had it on my computer the way I'm playing things for you now. And I sent the only copy. They then put it in Play MPE and it charted. That's crazy. So many radio stations started playing it. And it's exactly the audio. like the it's, audio This is a live recording that, of us one time. That came off a girl's camera. No, well, it came out of the front of house. Oh, out of the front of house. Okay. But, we, but it was her, that her one her filming one, of this yeah. thing as a thank you. And then against all the brainiac odds that you've ever, ever thought of, not only did it chart, but it went up the chart and it got nominated for a Grammy that year, which floors me that a thing that we, we just decided cause it was fun because someone taught us that we should do this at the end of our show became a conversation that it, even to the point where it was released, but it, it, you couldn't buy it anywhere. And little big town was next in line for a record. And so they put it out on their next record. Yep, I remember. And that. then we put it out a month or two later on the end of the Sugarland love on the inside record as a fan bonus. <laughs> right. So it, it is the audio equivalent of when I used to look through Rolling Stone and I'd see these black and white pictures of people at dinner and I'd see like, like Bob Dylan and Neil Young and Blondie and somebody else eating dinner together. 
backstage at something. And I'd be like, oh my God, all those people, they knew each other. They were around <laughs> each other. They did things with each other. Oh my God. This is the audio version of that. Now, 20 years later, Little Big Town are in the, you know, in the Opry. They're one of the largest stars in country music. Jake Owen is freaking still owning the beach. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Nobody else can have it. Right? Sugarland has come and gone and come back again. Yep. Um, and this is the innocence of loving music and being right next to where the lightning strikes. Hmm. So uh, here's one performance from Augusta, Georgia. This is, um, depending on which way you look at it, it's Sugarland featuring Little Big Town and Jake Owen, or it's Little Big Town featuring Sugarland and Jake Owen. Depends on which way you listen to it. <laughs> Um, and this is Life in a Northern Town. To the station He 
would never wave goodbye You could see it written in his eyes As the train pulled outside Bye It's just magic. That's all you can say about it. It is just magic. It's like an impossible thing. It's amazing. <laughs> it is stunning. It is all of the adjectives. I just wish more people would let more people just do. Yeah. But that, I, that's the, so the certificate for the nomination of that song is when you get nominated, sometimes it's as important as, uh, as winning, but, um, you get a you get a really special certificate when your song is nominated for anything um, at the Grammys, and that's the only thing I keep on my wall in my little office. That's an award. Yeah. Why is that? Why is it just that one? I don't know. Is it because it was so unplanned? Like it was. Yeah, such a- I think it's a, a reminder, maybe that. Um, not to do stuff because you think it's going to get you somewhere. Yeah. Just do it because you like it. Because those things are important. That's what the reminder is. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, just because you want to do it, do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it really, it leads me through into lots of places, just like this particular album. I mean, this album was almost a dare you were yeah. you were in the room all I, I was in the room when we decided we were <laughs> gonna like, do this why don't we do this yeah why not well and we, and and when we were thinking about all the reasons not to do it or all of the logic involved or whatever it was it was more interesting the fact that it could be done right like why wouldn't we try to sing that dream academy song i mean it's a good song and wouldn't it be cool? And when you, when I find myself with those sentences, like, why wouldn't we put 52 songs out in a year? Like, wouldn't that be cool? I, I That's why I keep it on the wall. <laughs> I love it. it. You know, and I think that that meeting doesn't feel like it was that long ago when we, because it wasn't when, you know, oh, yeah. you started talking about doing 52 songs on your 52nd birthday. And in, we you did it. I mean, it's like you moved mountains. You moved mountains we didn't even know existed. 
Well, and that's what that song did. Yeah. And, and probably still does. I, I remember us needing to reach out to the original writers and we found one of them. One. Yeah. And he still lived in the North of Scotland and wrote a very nice letter. Like, thank you so much. That's lovely. This was not what, um, you know, it was interesting. David Gilmore produced the original thing. So it was a Pink Floyd production. Oh, wow. The original recording. And um, he said that they never really even played it live much. They just thought it was like a fluke in the studio. Huh. And was very impressed with the interpretation. Wow. I was just, I was forever grateful. I was like, that must be really cool. I hope one day somebody rings me up when I'm in on an island somewhere, happily retired. And they say, Christian, we found your song and we've redone it and it has been nominated for a Grammy. <laughs> if someone were going to do that, like if you, if there were, you know, three artists on tour together right now and they're like, we're going to do a Christian Bush song together on stage every night. Like, what would you point them to? Oh my gosh. I'd point them to something fun. Well, actually, that's a really good question. It feels like it would be something that would be timely because right now it sounds, it feels like there are a bunch of voices that are unheard. Yeah. You know, with all this Roe v. Wade stuff and, and where we are politically. Yeah. Um, there is a song I wrote for Sugarland called Stand Up. I remember I wrote that, that a, a while back about using your voice because it's the one thing you can use. Yeah. And uh, we used to play it a lot live. And not, it never really got on the radio or anything, but I think that's an important song. I think that could that could help. <laughs> I love that. That could help. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. There you go. Well, I, I um, I, I will say this last thing about this song is um, this was the first time a lot of people heard me sing. And and I say it a lot, but it it, it was the moment. So very not long after this, Leslie uh, Fram and the, the folks at CMT called and they said, would you perform this on the CMT Awards? <laughs> and we did. And uh, it was very interesting because I, 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 even within the band of Sugarland, which is an underdog band, I'm the underdog inside the underdog band. Aww. And as I stepped up to sing, people would start screaming. It was so cool. That's awesome. <laughs> and it's it's just like the first time I saw Tommy Stinson start singing in the replacements. I was like, holy crap. He, he, he can do it. Oh my God, it's awesome. Like, <laughs> So I, I love that that happened and that it's brought us to where we are now. But um, I'm forever grateful to... to all of this, these, these two songs are some of the most precious songs to me, even though I didn't write one of them, you know, because they just represent that the world of music is, is, uh, is a whole big box of magic. It's when you look at it from the outside, it looks like dark magic. Like I don't even know how it happens. Right. But even when you're in it, I'm here to testify that it's still freaky, unknown, you know, stardust magic crap. <laughs> and I love it. 
I love walking into it and I love sitting in the middle of the room and building sandcastles with it. It's genius. <laughs> I love that whole sentence. Was that a run on sentence that was of joy? A, that was a, that, oh. <laughs> a run on sentence of joy. Perfect. Oh, okay, Cindy, we'll do this again. All right, Christian. It's good to see you. You too. Okay, right, bye. Bye. Hey, everybody. Christian Bush here. Cindy Watts. And we would like to thank you for joining us for another episode of 52. If you'd like to write us with questions or comments, you can contact us at 52thepodcast at gmail.com. That is the number 52. Or by leaving us a voicemail at 803-900-5252. Also, remember, the best way to help us is to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, please, and thank you. You can follow me at Christian Bush on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can follow Cindy at Cindy Watts on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week.